This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mark Barnes, www.414.org.uk Confessions by St. Augustine Translated by Albert C. Outler Book 1, Chapter 11 Even as a boy I had heard of eternal life promised to us through the humility of the Lord our God, who came down to visit us in our pride, and I was signed with the sign of his cross, and was seasoned with his salt, even from the womb of my mother, who greatly trusted in thee. Thou didst see, O Lord, how, once, while I was still a child, I was suddenly seized with stomach pains, and was at the point of death. Thou didst see, O my God, for even then thou wast my keeper, with what agitation and with what faith I solicited from the piety of my mother and from thy church, which is the mother of us all, the baptism of thy Christ, my Lord and my God. The mother of my flesh was much perplexed, for, with a heart pure in thy faith, she was always in deep travail for my eternal salvation. If I had not quickly recovered, she would have provided forthwith for my initiation and washing by thy life-giving sacraments, confessing thee, O Lord Jesus, for the forgiveness of sins. So my cleansing was deferred, as if it were inevitable that, if I should live, I would be further polluted, and further, because the guilt contracted by sin after baptism would be still greater and more perilous. Thus, at that time, I believed along with my mother and the whole household except my father. But he did not overcome the influence of my mother's piety in me, nor did he prevent my believing in Christ, although he had not yet believed in him. For it was her desire, O oh my God, that I should acknowledge thee as my father rather than him. In this thou didst aid her to overcome her husband, to whom, though his superior, she yielded obedience. In this way she also yielded obedience to thee, who dost so command. I ask thee, O my God, for I would gladly know, if it be thy will, to what good end my baptism was deferred at that time. Was it indeed for my good that the reins were slackened, as it were, to encourage me in sin? Or were they not slackened? If not, then why is it still dinned into our ears on all sides? Let him alone, let him do as he pleases, for he is not yet baptized. In the matter of bodily health, no one says, Let him alone, let him be worse wounded, for he is not yet cured. How much better, then, would it have been for me to have been cured at once? And if thereafter, through the diligent care of friends and myself, my soul's restored health had been kept safe in thy keeping, who gave it in the first place. This would have been far better in truth. But how many and great the waves of temptation which appeared to hang over me as I grew out of childhood! These were foreseen by my mother, and she preferred that the unformed clay should be risked to them rather than the clay moulded after Christ's image. Chapter 12 But in this time of childhood, 
which was far less dreaded for me than my adolescence. I had no love of learning, and hated to be driven to it. Yet I was driven to it just the same, and good was done for me, even though I did not do it well, for I would not have learned if I had not been forced to it. For no man does well against his will, even if what he does is a good thing. Neither did they who forced me do well. But the good that was done me came from thee, my God. For they did not care about the way in which I would use what they forced me to learn, and took it for granted that it was to satisfy the inordinate desires of a rich beggary and a shameful glory. But thou, Lord, by whom the hairs of our head are numbered, didst use for my good the error of all who pushed me on to study. But my error, in not being willing to learn, thou didst use for my punishment. And I, though so small a boy, yet so great a sinner, was not punished without warrant. Thus, by the instrumentality of those who did not do well, thou didst well for me, and by my own sin thou didst justly punish me. For it is even as thou hast ordained, that every inordinate affection brings on its own punishment. Chapter 13 But what were the causes for my strong dislike of Greek literature which I studied from my boyhood? Even to this day I have not fully understood them. For Latin I loved exceedingly, not just the rudiments, but what the grammarians teach. For those beginners' lessons in reading, writing, and reckoning, I considered no less a burden and pain than Greek. Yet whence came this, unless from the sin and vanity of this life? For I was but flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again, those first lessons were better, assuredly, because they were more certain, and through them I acquired and still retain the power of reading what I find written and of writing for myself what I will. In the other subjects, however, I was compelled to learn about the wanderings of a certain Aeneas, oblivious of my own wanderings, and to weep for Dido dead, who slew herself for love. And all this while I bore with dry eyes my own wretched self, die unto thee, O God, my life, in the midst of these things. For what can be more wretched than the wretch who has no pity upon himself, who sheds tears over Dido, dead for the love of Aeneas, but who sheds no tears for his own death in not loving thee, O God, light of my heart and bread of the inner mouth of my soul? O power that links together my mind, with the inmost thoughts? I did not love thee, and thus committed fornication against thee. Those around me, also sinning, thus cried out, Well done, well done. The friendship of this world is fornication against thee, and well done, well done, is cried until one feels ashamed not to show himself a man in this way. For my own condition I shed no tears, though I wept for Dido, who sought death at the sword's point, while I myself was seeking the lowest rung of thy creation, having forsaken thee, earth, sinking back to earth again. And if I had been forbidden to read these poems, I would have grieved that I was not allowed to read what grieved me. This sort of madness is considered more honourable and more fruitful learning than the beginner's course in which I learned to read and write. But now, O oh my God, 
Cry unto my soul, and let thy truth say to me, Not so, not so, that first learning was far better. For, obviously, I would rather forget the wanderings of Aeneas and all such things than forget how to write and read. Still, over the entrance of the grammar school there hangs a veil. This is not so much the sign of a covering for a mystery as a curtain for error. Let them exclaim against me, those I no longer fear, while I confess to thee, my God, what my soul desires, and let me find some rest, for in blaming my own evil ways I may come to love thy holy ways. Neither let those cry out against me who buy and sell the baubles of literature. For if I ask them if it is true, as the poet says, that Aeneas once came to Carthage, the unlearned will reply that they do not know, and the learned will deny that it is true. But if I ask with what letters the name Aeneas is written, all who have ever learned this will answer correctly in accordance with the conventional understanding men have agreed upon as to these signs. Again, if I should ask which would cause the greatest inconvenience in our life, if it were forgotten, reading and writing, or these poetical fictions, who does not see what everyone would answer who had not entirely lost his own memory? I erred then, when as a boy I preferred those vain studies to these more profitable ones, or rather loved the one and hated the other. One and one are two, two and two are four. This was then a truly hateful song to me. But the wooden horse full of its armed soldiers and the holocaust of Troy and the spectral image of Cruiser were all a most delightful and vain show. But why then did I dislike Greek learning, which was full of such tales? For Homer was skilful in inventing such poetic fictions, and is most sweetly wanton. Yet when I was a boy, he was most disagreeable to me. I believe that Virgil would have the same effect on Greek boys as Homer did on me, if they were forced to learn him. For the tedium of learning a foreign language mingled gall into the sweetness of those Grecan myths for I did not understand a word of the language, and yet I was driven with threats and cruel punishments to learn it. There was also a time when, as an infant, I knew no Latin, but this I acquired without any fear or tormenting, but merely by being alert on the blandishments of my nurses, the jests of those who smiled on me, and the sportiveness of those who toyed with me. I learned all this, indeed, without being urged by any pressure of punishment, for my own heart urged me to bring forth its own fashioning, which I could not do except by learning words, not from those who taught me, but those who talked to me, into whose ears I could pour forth whatever I could fashion. From this it is sufficiently clear that a free curiosity is more effective in learning than a discipline based on fear. Yet by thy ordinance, O God, discipline is given to restrain the excesses of freedom, this ranges from the ferule of the schoolmaster to the trials of the martyr, and has the effect of mingling for us a wholesome bitterness, which calls us back to thee from poisonous pleasures that first drew us from thee. Chapter 15 Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let not my soul faint under thy discipline, nor let me faint in confessing unto thee thy mercies, whereby thou hast saved me from all my most wicked ways, till thou shouldst become sweet to me beyond all the allurements that I used to follow. 
Let me come to love thee wholly, and grasp thy hand with my whole heart, that thou mayst deliver me from every temptation, even unto the last. And thus, O Lord, my King and my God, may all things useful that I learned as a boy now be offered in thy service. Let it be that for thy service I now speak and write and reckon. For when I was learning vain things, thou didst impose thy discipline upon me, and thou hast forgiven me my sin of delighting in those vanities. In those studies I learned many a useful word, but these might have been learned in matters not so vain, and surely that is the safe way for youths to walk in. Chapter 16 But woe unto you, O torrent of human custom! Who shall stay your course? When will you ever run dry? How long will you carry down the sons of Eve into that vast and hideous ocean which even those who have the tree for an ark can scarcely pass over? Do I not read in you the stories of Jove, the thunderer, and the adulterer? How could he be both? But so it says, and the sham thunder served as a cloak for him to play at real adultery. Yet which of our gowned masters will give a tempered hearing to a man trained in their own schools who cries out and says, These were Homer's fictions. He transfers things human to the gods. I could have wished that he would transfer divine things to us. But it would have been more true if he said, These are indeed his fictions, but he attributed divine attributes to sinful man that crimes might not be accounted crimes, and that whoever committed such crimes might appear to imitate the celestial gods, and not abandoned men. And yet, O torrent of hell, the sons of men are still cast into you, and they pay fees for learning all these things. And much is made of it when this goes on in the forum under the auspices of laws which give a salary over and above the fees and you beat against your rocky shore and roar. Here words may be learned. Here you can attain the eloquence which is so necessary to persuade people to your way of thinking, so helpful in unfolding your opinions. Verily, they seem to argue that we should never have understood these words, golden shower, bosom, intrigue, highest heavens, and other such words, if Terence had not introduced a good-for-nothing youth upon the stage, setting up a picture of Jove as his example of lewdness, and telling the tale of Jove's descending in a golden shower into Dana's bosom with a woman to intrigue. See how he excites himself to lust, as if by a heavenly authority, when he says, Great Jove, who shakes the highest heavens with his thunder, Shall I, poor mortal man, not do the same? I've done it, and with all my heart I'm glad. These words are not learned one whit more easily because of this vileness, but through them the vileness is more boldly perpetrated. I do not blame the words, for they, as it were, choice and precious vessels. But I do deplore the wine of error which was poured out to us by teachers already drunk, and, Unless we also drank, we were beaten, without liberty of appeal to a sober judge. And yet, O oh my God, in whose presence I can now with security recall this, I learned these things willingly and with delight, and for it I was called a boy of good promise. 
Chapter 17 Bear with me, O my God, while I speak a little of those talents, thy gifts, and of the follies on which I wasted them. For a lesson was given me that sufficiently disturbed my soul, for in it there was both hope of praise and fear of shame or stripes. The assignment was that I should declaim the words of Juno, as she raged and sorrowed that she could not bar off Italy from all the approaches of the Teucrian king. I had learned that Juno had never uttered these words, and yet we were compelled to stray in the footsteps of these poetic fictions, and to turn into prose what the poet had said in verse. In the declamation, the boy won most applause whose most strikingly reproduced the passions of anger and sorrow according to the character of the exercised my wit and tongue. Thy praise, O Lord, thy praises might have propped up the tendrils of my heart by thy scriptures, and it would not have been dragged away by these empty trifles, a shameful prey to the spirits of the air. For there is more than one way in which men sacrifice to the fallen angels. Chapter 18 But it was no wonder that I was thus carried toward vanity and was estranged from thee, O my God, when men were held up as models to me, who, when relating a deed of theirs, not in itself evil, were covered with confusion if found guilty of a barbarism or a solecism, but who could tell of their own licentiousness and be applauded for it, so long as they did it in a full and ornate oration of well-chosen words? Thou seest all this, O Lord, and dost keep silence, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth as thou art. Wilt thou keep silence forever? Even now thou drawest from that vast deep the soul that seeks thee and thirsts after thy delight, whose heart said unto thee, I have sought thy face, thy face, Lord, will I seek. For I was far from thy face in the dark shadows of passion, for it is not by our feet, nor by change of place, though I either turn from thee or return to thee. That younger son did not charter horses or chariots or ships, or fly away on visible wings, or journey by walking, so that in the far country he might prodigally waste all that thou didst give when he set out? A kind father, when thou gavest, and kinder still, when he returned destitute. To be wanton, that is to say, to be darkened in heart, this is to be far from thy face. Look down, O Lord God, and see patiently, as thou art wont to do, how diligently the sons of men observe the conventional rules of letters and syllables, taught them by those who learned their letters beforehand, while they neglect the eternal rules of everlasting salvation taught by thee. They carry it so far that if he who practices or teaches the established rules of pronunciation should speak, contrary to grammatical usage, without aspirating the first syllable of hominem, onimen, thus making it a human being, he will offend men more than if he, a human being, were to hate another human being contrary to thy commandments. It is as if he should feel that there is an enemy who could be more destructive to himself than that hatred which excites him against his fellow man. 
or that he could destroy him whom he hates more completely than he destroys his own soul by this same hatred. Now, obviously, there is no knowledge of letters more innate than the writing of conscience, against doing unto another what one would not have done to himself. How mysterious thou art who dwellest on high in silence! O thou, the only great God, who by an unwearied law hurlest down the penalty of blindness to unlawful desire! When a man seeking the reputation of eloquence stands before a human judge while a thronging multitude surrounds him and inveighs against his enemy with the most fierce hatred, he takes most vigilant heed that his tongue does not slip in grammatical error. For example, and say, interhominibus, instead of interhomines. But he takes no heed lest, in the fury of his spirit, he cut off a man from his fellow-men, ex hominibus. These were the customs in the midst of which I was cast, an unhappy boy. This was the wrestling arena in which I was more fearful of perpetrating a barbarism than having done so of envying those who had not. These things I declare and confess to thee, my God. I was applauded by those whom I then thought it my whole duty to please, for I did not perceive the gulf of infamy wherein I was cast away from thy eyes. For in thy eyes what was more infamous than I was already, since I displeased even my own kind and deceived with endless lies my tutor, my masters and parents, all from a love of play, a craving for frivolous spectacles, a stage-struck restlessness to imitate what I saw in those shows. I pilfered from my parents' cellar and table, sometimes driven by gluttony, sometimes just to have something to give to other boys in exchange for their baubles, which they were prepared to sell even though they liked them as well as I. Moreover, in this kind of play I often sought dishonest victories, being myself conquered by the vain desire for preeminence. And what was I so unwilling to endure? And what was it that I censured so violently when I caught anyone except the very things I did to others? And, when I was myself detected and censured, I preferred to quarrel rather than to yield. Is this the innocence of childhood? It is not, O Lord, it is not. I entreat thy mercy, O my God, for these same sins as we grow older are transferred from tutors and masters. They pass from nuts and balls and sparrows to magistrates and kings, to gold and lands and slaves, just as the rod is succeeded by more severe chastisements. It was then the fact of humility in childhood that thou, O our King, didst approve as a symbol of humility when thou saidst, Of such is the kingdom of heaven. Chapter 19 However, O Lord, to thee, most excellent and most good, Thou architect and governor of the universe, thanks would be due thee, O our God, even if thou hadst not willed that I should survive my boyhood. For I existed even then, I lived and felt and was solicitous about my own well-being, a trace of that most mysterious unity from whence I had my being. I kept watch, by my inner sense, over the integrity of my outer senses, and even in these trifles, and also in my thoughts about trifles, I learned to take pleasure in truth. 
I was averse to being deceived. I had a vigorous memory. I was gifted with the power of speech, was softened by friendship, shunned sorrow, meanness, ignorance. Is not such an animated creature as this wonderful and praiseworthy? But all these are gifts of my God. I did not give them to myself. Moreover, they are good, and they altogether constitute myself. Good, then, is he that made me, and he is my God. And before him will I rejoice exceedingly for every good gift which, even as a boy, I had. But herein lay my sin, that it was not in him, but in his creatures, myself and the rest, that I sought for pleasures, honors, and truths, and I fell thereby into sorrows, troubles, and errors. Thanks be to thee, my joy, my pride, my confidence, my God. Thanks be to thee for thy gifts, which do thou preserve them in me. For thus wilt thou preserve me, and those things which thou hast given me shall be developed and perfected, and I myself shall be with thee. For from thee is my being. End of Book One Confessions by Saint Augustine